Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. The list of things that you can buy at the Chicago Reader store at chicagoreader.com. Things to wear like Chicago Reader hats, t-shirts, bandanas, and face masks. Things for your daily life like the Chicago Reader camping mug, Chicago Reader tote bags, and a Chicago Reader reporter's notebook. Things for you to read like our Reader recipes, the Chicago Reader 420 Companion, our Chicago Reader Best of book series from journalists Maya Dukmasaba, Mike Sula, Ben Jarofsky, and Lior Galil, the Chicago Reader coloring book, and the Chicago Reader stay home puzzle. Find the Chicago Reader store at chicagoreader.com and show your support for the nation's first free weekly news newspaper since 1971. Bonus time on the Ben Jarofsky Show. As I speak, it is Wednesday, August 30th, 2023. August is almost over. Good golly, where do the days go? Anyway, here's uh, just to give you an idea what's going on in the world, a story I read in today's New York Times. It's probably apropos to nothing I'm going to talk about with my distinguished guest who's patiently waiting uh, to come on. But this 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 just shows how insane MAGA is. Now, MAGA, you know, I really do my best to understand you. I'm not like one of those lefties who just scorns you. No, every day I wake up and I go, I want to understand MAGA. Maybe they have a point of view that's valid <laughs> and worth listening to. So this has to do with a uh, uh, an incident that took place in a Georgia elementary school uh, outside of uh, Atlanta, Forsyth County, uh, north of Atlanta. So this is like MAGA country. People lo- walk around loving Donald Trump and Ron DeSantis. And apparently they got this thing where they are, they just cannot stand the word gay. I mean, I guess fundamentally they don't, are not opposed to the word itself, but just the notion that somebody might be gay. All right. So the school had invited this author to talk to the kiddies. All right. It was a, a man who wrote a book, Bill the Boy Wonder, the secret co-creator of Batman. So they all figured one way we're going to get the little kiddies to read is to bring in a guy who wrote a book about Batman because all the kids love Batman. It makes sense. I can understand that. Uh, and it's an autobiography of him. I didn't even know any of this, ladies and gentlemen. I'm not a huge Batman fan. I must concede that up, up front. Uh, but it talks about the role of comic book writer Bill Finger and the role he played in the creation of the superhero for which the cartoonist Bob Kane long received sole credit. But it turned out this other guy, Bill Finger, uh, was also responsible for the creation of Batman. And uh, the reason gay came into the question is that when uh finger died at age uh in 1974 he was penniless and uh they could not give him credit 
for having created Batman, or was it? It was not worthy of giving him credit for creating Batman if he had no one to uh, pass on the 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 copyright to and the 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 money that he made off of Batman. Uh, and so they discovered that in fact uh, he had a son. Uh, and the son died in 92. The son was gay. So people assumed that there was no heir for Finger to pass on uh, money to. Then they discovered that his son, even though he was gay, had a daughter. So as a result, she got the money. She got the credit, et cetera, and so forth. But the point is, you have to say that his son was gay, and that's why it was a surprise when they discovered he had a daughter. You have to say he's gay. So in giving a little talk to some fifth graders, the man who wrote this book said Finger's son was gay. And the principal wrote him a note going, no, you can't say that. You can't say that a man is gay. That's considered indoctrination. You have lost your mind, MAGA. And later on, uh, the author said, uh, the, son, the story of Mr. Finger's gay son was pertinent to the story of Mr. Finger and not a form of sex education. <laughs> You've lost your line, Maga. Maga, you are always crying about your liberties and your First Amendment rights to free expression and how you should be free to say anything you want. You can insult anybody. You can denigrate anybody. But now you're telling this man he can't even say that somebody is gay? That's off limits? You got everybody so afraid in those little suburban swing districts, I hope it doesn't ever happen in the city of Chicago that the people at CPS get so afraid and scared that they can't say something like, somebody is gay. Wow. Weird times in Magaland. Weird times in Magaland. All right, without further ado, I'm going to ask my distinguished guest who's been patiently sitting by to introduce herself. Introduce yourself, distinguished guest. Hey, Ben, I am State Senator Lakeisha Collins. I represent the 5th District. Yes. And you know, ladies and gentlemen, she said State Senator. She didn't say State Rep. She said State Senator. And the last time Lakeisha Collins came on the show, she was a State Rep. And now she's a State Senator. So first of all, congratulations. Uh, I guess it's an elevation, a promotion. Um. The big difference, of course, is that as a state senator, you're in a bigger district and you represent more people, correct? Correct. Correct. Yeah. So <laughs> that uh, and you got there because, well, why don't you explain exactly what happened uh, that led to you becoming state senator? Go ahead. Well, I mean, um, one, I'm grateful uh, for the opportunity to serve the great people of the state of Illinois. But I was, again, I was the state representative. I represented the, the ninth district, which was North Lawndale, parts of the West Loop, and then the near North side. And so I want to say for about a year, I've been hearing from our former state senator, Patricia Van Pelt, that she was looking to retire. And um, it was, you know, really just like a rumor at first but um, I did have several conversations with her um, and then it just kind of went silent. And so finally, I want to say August 1st of this year, 
um, the announcement was made and, you know, I immediately, (laughs) you know, talked to my base of supporters and told them that I was interested in going for the fifth Senate district seat. Um, I felt that the work that I've done in the house in such a short period of time and how I was able to elevate and, you know, go into becoming the chair of the house black caucus. And then also being a black caucus whip, which that job primarily means that you're whipping up votes for initiatives. And it's not something easy, but just showing that leadership there, um, that I was fully prepared to take on a bigger role. And that was to represent the fifth district. And so I just hit the ground running. I started talking to um, the committee men who ultimately makes the decision on the appointment. And that process, um, it is a little bit stressful uh, because you're talking to folks who you, you know, you you may know, you may not know them, but you're really, um, you know, you're, it's, you're selling yourself. You're letting them know that, hey, this is the work I've done. This is who I am. This is what I plan to do. This is how I want to represent and work with you in a collaborative way of making sure that your constituents are getting the things that they need addressed, whether it's through policy or through budget. And um, my my plan, I don't know anyone else's plan when they go for um, an appointment, but this is the first time I had to do it. I think um, people kind of got it mixed up when I ran for state rep. I actually won that seat in the primary and then my predecessor retired And then I was appointed early to finish out his term before I started my term. And so this process I had never really been through. And so it was stressful for me on that aspect of it. But I um, organized um, because my background is from organizing. So I got a lot of my supporters to not only did I make the initial call, but I started to have them make calls as well to just talk about, you know, their relationship with me, the work that they've seen me do or collaborate with me on. And then a number of other, um, you know, people who I've met over the years in this space to then call people who hey, they had relationships with who were committee men to say, hey, you know, she's the right choice, you know, give her a chance, blah, blah, blah. And so then I had several meetings in person over the phone. I just didn't stop calling. And One thing about organizing is that every number counts. Every person you contact, it counts. And so there were committee men who only had six votes in the process. I called called that committee man. I said, hey, (laughs) you are important (laughs) because they are, right? I literally started at zero. The weighted vote was with the alderman of the 27th ward, which I live in that ward, he had the weighted vote. So he had a jump start at 27, I think 24 or 27%. So he didn't have a whole lot to build off of. Um, and the other candidates who were in the race, you know, I don't know who they were, you know, going to target, but my target was everybody. And so whether a committee man had six votes, 40 votes, I was calling them, asking to meet with them, sat down, had long conversations about the work that I've done, what I plan to do, um, and how important it was to, you know, make sure that there was someone there who understood policy, who 
who understood the the budget process because I've seen it, I've worked through it, you know, as the chair of the Black Caucus, and just someone who's like been very intentional about learning the dis- the different si- systems in Springfield and how to maneuver there. And what I will say is, it's so important because when you're a state rep, you're running literally every year and a half, technically. Our terms is only two years. And when you get a new state rep, it, it kind of, you don't really have enough time to really dive in to the work because you're constantly running. And so um, when you're waiting for another state rep to come in, if you elect someone new, all of that work that had already been done or funding that's already waiting to be released, it's kind of paused. And so I wanted to make sure that people understood that process and that aspect of it, but also that, hey, you got somebody with experience going into this role. These folks in the fifth district, you know, the constituents, they need representation. They need access to their senator. And that's something that I bring to the table. That's something that I've done in the ninth district. I want to expand it in the fifth district. So I had a game plan going in and it worked. And so um, I owe all of that to the many people who made calls on my behalf as well. But I did not let up until the end. I mean, even the day of, I was still asking, like, do I still have your support? So, yes. All right. So let's break this down a little more. And lefties, I want you to take out your pieces of paper and pencils. Or you can even do it on your little phone because most of you are millennials and you don't take notes. The old hey, I'm a millennial. But listen. <laughs> You're a millennial. I know you're yes. a millennial. <laughs> but you still use a pen and a piece of paper from time yes. to time. So this is really important to learn how to win an election. And uh, I I will lay things out a little more specifically. Uh, so there's a vacancy. A vacancy is filled uh, by the vote of the party committeeman, the Democratic committeeman, whose wards are part of the district, all right? Uh, so they have a meeting, and that's what uh, Senator Collins was explaining who she was calling. She was calling the various committeemen, and they have a weighted vote based on the turnout in their wards uh, from the last election, and the ward, the part, the ward that has the greatest chunk of that district gets the most vote. So that's what a weighted vote means. And then the, there'll be an election where for the voters to decide... Uh, to fill out the term officially, uh, but uh, this is the first step. So that 27th Ward Alderman that Senator Collins alluded to is Walter Burnett. I've known Walter for many, many years. Uh, His son was an announced candidate in this race. So, Lakeisha, I have to admit, don't get mad at me. When I saw that it was Lakeisha Collins, uh, a lefty, an SEIU member, uh, a frontline person <laughs> running against the son of a Walter Burnett. I go, oh, no way. No way Lakeisha Collins is going to win this thing. And plus, Walter had started off with a significant, as you pointed out, proportion of the weighted vote. Man, I you, you outworked him. You did outwork them. And by the way, I'll bet, I know some of you moderates out there go, oh, Ben, she's an ally of Brandon Johnson. That's why. Oh, yeah. Brandon didn't win with his other two candidates who just recently were vacancies. I just want to point that out to you. You got to work it. And there's there's still a lot of these committeemen, Lakeisha Collins, who are kind of conservative. Do you know what I'm saying? And so this is more the case 
uh, north of you um, with the with the vacancy that occurred when Zayas left to go work for Brandon. But um, you know as well as I do that you can't just depend on these committeemen to vote whichever way uh, the mayor says. So here's what uh, Shia Kapos wrote in Political. I'm now going to read this and then get Lakeisha to comment on this. And this is how I alerted this. Shia Kapos wrote this. Um, Lakeisha Collins and her allies worked the phones to lock down support to the vote. It worked. When it came time to vote, it was clear Collins had it nailed, and she ultimately won by acclamation. Key players in her corners, Alderman's Jason Irvin, 28th, Emma Mitz, and Byra's Sixual Lopez, and committee woman Lucy Moog of the 43rd Ward. Lakeisha, when I read that, I laughed out loud because you can't get a more interesting coalition of supporters than Jason Irvin, Emma Mitz, and Byron Sixel Lopez. Byron is as left as I, no, Byron's even leftier than I am. Okay. So, and Emma Mitz, it was like an old Rom supporter. So Emma's kind of like conservative and within the Democratic Party and Jason Irvin, I've known Jason a long time. He's kind of looking which way the wind's blowing and he's looking out for his wife and all her ambitions. So it's not like these are three natural allies. You had to win them over. So what did you do to get a lefty, a moderate, and uh, essentially like a conservative Democrat to support you? So again, I was the Black Caucus whip. My job was to whip votes. Um, For those who don't know what that means, um, you are part of the speaker's team. And when we're taking votes on the floor, um, so let me back it up. There are... Conservative Democrats, which we call moderate, there are progressive Democrats, and then there are, um, you know, yeah, that, that's what we're dealing with. And so everyone had just have different point of views. And so I I grew up in a very diverse um, community. I've I've lived in different parts of the city, suburbs. And so I I have a lot of friends um, all across the board, I would say. I have friends who are more moderate, too. So I understand it all. And my approach has always been to have an open conversation and just I'm a straight shooter. So you only get one way out of me Um, where we don't agree. We just don't agree. But I respect your opinion. I respect all of that. And where we agree, that's where we can work, you know, and then sometimes we just have to meet each other in the middle. And so that's just what I've done my whole life. Right. I've been able to bring people together. So I call myself a connector in a way. And so with Alderman Irvin, um, what I've learned just through this process with him is that he does strategically think about, you know, his communities and what he has been missing is representation. And so his greatest need in his ward um, you know, is in that that Garfield, West Garfield, East Garfield part. And so, you know, he told me, he was like, look, I've seen what you've done in the ninth district. I think you would be great as the state senator. Um, I definitely need resources over here. And that's what he cared about. That's, that was his issue. And just listening to him talk. And I told him, like, look, this is what I can bring to the table, you know? <laughs> and so that was my way of, of getting him on board. And I would say it wasn't easy. It wasn't. We had multiple conversations. I did not back off of him. I continued to call. I had my allies call him as well. And um, when it got down to the final moment, um, he just and, and he over he thinks about everything. <laughs> and so 
Um, and he told me, he said, you know what? I think that this will level things out. I really do. I think that, you know, you being in that seat will help out, you know? So um, I got him on board with all the woman mitts. You know, I've always showed up to, you know, anything that she's asked me to show up to. And so I think there was a relationship there already with her. And I had a, a relationship with, with Irvin too. Um, at the time, his his ward did not, the side of the ward that I had in the district really didn't have much need. And so because of the remap of the ward, he's kind of split between nine and 10. So that played a role in that too. But with Alderwoman Mitts, it was really just, you know, having a conversation with her and, you know, her coming to terms like, look, I've seen your work. I've seen what you've been doing. I'm going to support you. I can't say that I was, I, I, I will say that, yes, I was shocked. But at the same time, I know that just being in spaces with her, um, again, she's someone who just thinks about the overall. And so I had some allies that she was really, you know, connected to, respected as well. Um, and of course, everyone has to go back and talk to their people as well. So that worked out in that way. And with Alderman um, Byron Sicho Lopez, I've known him since about 2014 when I was working with, as a fellow at Chicago Votes. And so I've seen him <laughs> in many spaces and I've worked with him um, as his state rep for his ward. You know, we did a lot of work with Barbara Jean Wright with helping the seniors over there with making sure that they were empowered um, to have say in the new development that was coming to their community. And now, you know, everything that's happening over there with the new senior center and all the resources that they're getting is being led by the community. And that is because of the teamwork with me and the alderman. And so he no longer represents that area. Alderman Irvin does. And I have those relationships over there. And so I think it all just kind of played out in that way. So, but it, again, it still took multiple conversations and some of them did just come up just off relationships and works that we have done while in my role as state rep. But some of these, some of these, some of the support I got, I'm sorry, I'm getting tongue tied, came from just constantly having conversations over and over and over again. And then figuring out who was connected to these folks who had the longer relationships and then talking to those people, winning them over and getting them to talk to the alderman too. So it, it was a lot of legwork. And I would tell you, um, People, you know, they called me because they thought that I gave up when I went on vacation, but it was planned like six months prior. Um, and I was stressing there because I was still making calls. So it wasn't a real vacation. It was like I still need to organize on the phone. Now, so, yeah. you come from a political movement uh, and you have supported candidates who were, ran against some of these committeemen. Uh, and I... I know a lot of people in Chicago have long memories when it comes to this stuff. I could give you so many. Lori Lightfoot, a tangent, held a grudge against uh, Stacey Davis Gates that probably hurt Lori Lightfoot more than it hurt Stacey Davis Gates. I say this on the mic all the time, Lakeisha. Had she just been able to say what Emma Mitt said to you, we were on the opposite sides before, now we're going to be on the same side. What? How can I help it probably would have, she'd probably be mayor right now, in my humble opinion. And had she done that with Willie Wilson as well, she'd probably be uh, mayor now. So did any of these committeemen 
throw up to you, oh, State Representative Collins, hmm, as I recall, you were for my opponent the last time I met. Did anybody play that card when dealing with you? Well, you know, so I was on a strike line with some workers at Loretto, um, and one of the committee men, you know, it, it was close to home. And I totally understand that, right? But I had an honest conversation with that person. And I think he was really honest in his conversation with me as well. And look, I don't take nothing personal. I'm just not a personal person. I'm always about what's the solution? How do we get there? And ultimately, you know, you have so many people who will give their opinions about stuff. And it's like, oh, you'll never get this person because this person is mad at you. And it's like, okay, well, look, at the end of the day, I'm going to always stand on the right side, right? Those workers who are striking at Loretto, who were striking at Loretto Hospital, they live in my district. I, I've, I've sat on strike lines with them years before I became a state representative. I was a nursing home worker and a hospital worker, and I did some home care work, right? So I know the struggles that they're going through, and I'll never waver from that no matter what position I'm in. I understand the need for health care. I get it from a worker's point of view, from a manager's point of view, from a CEO's point of view, because I've bargained and negotiated contracts with these people before. So I understand I understand it. And my job as the legislator is to make sure that we're funding these institutions, but that it's enough funding to sustain them, but also pay the workers, pay the people who are sacrificing their lives every single day to offer up the service that we need. And and you don't know this until you walk in those shoes, like the, the, the stuff that they go through, but I do. And so um, that was one thing that came up. Anything else as far as me supporting people, look, I supported the Secretary of State. I supported the mayor of of Chicago. I've supported some of the aldermen who, um, you know, live in areas where you might deem to be more conservative. And, you know, even people in my own space are like, well, why did you do that? And for me, it's like people assume because I come from a union that I was just going to be somebody that they held strings behind their head, not understanding that. I am someone who, no matter what space I'm in, I'm going to own it, but I'm going to do the work. And I think that I shocked a lot of people when I became the state representative because I was able to carry numbers of legislation that just did not pertain to just labor, but multiple different spaces, whether it was, you know, um, you know, the restaurant association, you know, the workers, all of that stuff. Right. And so. I just wanted to show people that, um, you know, I just wasn't another face there. And so um, I didn't get any backlash. At least they didn't say it to me for supporting some people that they didn't care for. Okay. Uh, I'm good to hear. Uh, I'm, I'm happy to hear that. Uh, you said something that I wrote down and then you got to follow up on it. You said, I don't take anything personally. Mm-hmm. Lakeisha, I come from, I come from a long line of people who never forget. Okay, a yes, slight. I get it. May you rest in peace, mom. Uh, and uh, <laughs> my mom, she could hold a grudge. Unbelievable. That's why I kind of understood where Lori Lightfoot was coming from. I go, oh, Lori Lightfoot, you're cut from the same cloth as my mother. Uh, and but I think even Lori Lightfoot took it further than my mother did. Mm-hmm. Um, so how do you how do you manage that? How how can you get through life, like mm. getting rid of that? 
that hate you might have or that animosity or that resentment or that bitterness. I, I struggle with this myself, Lakeisha. So how do you get rid of it? Go ahead. I, I work them. I make them mad every day when I show up for work or show up in spaces they didn't think I'd be in. And I kill them with kindness. Because if I spend my energy upset at someone because they did something to me, then I am going to be missing out on the work that I could be doing to continue to elevate in this space, right? Or to continue to find solutions in the communities that I represent. I think politics, um, you know, they say there's no permanent enemies and all of this stuff. I know that there's people who are personal here. And so, and I've seen what what it has done to people up close and personal. For me, you know, when people work against me and I can tell that they're working against me, (laughs) I just work around them. I work around them. Right. Um, And my style of representation of representing folks is totally different from everybody else. At least I believe that, you know, I do things that, you know, some people don't do or take time to do. I just I've always been a worker. But for me, it's always just killing people with kindness. I mean, I don't spend my time thinking like, when am I going to get this person back for what they said about me or what they done to me? I check people on the spot. <laughs> you know, if somebody offended me, I just check them on the spot. Hey, you did this. Don't ever let it happen again. Right. And I keep it moving because after that interaction, I, I'm telling you, it always changes. But I know that there's people out there that's probably like, hey, we're going to get her. You know, <laughs> these people are study taking over. Like, you got to stop thinking like that, because the people who are you know, the, the people who are affected by all of the things that we're doing are the people who elect us to represent them. They want to see results. <laughs> they don't care who likes who. They want to see results in their community. And there are a lot of pressing issues that are happening right now. And people want to see representation. They want access to their elected official. And they want to hear what we're going to do. And for me, it's like, how do we fix this together? I don't have time to waste you know, my precious time on trying to figure out if a person is trying to stab me in the back or not. I, I, I live my life knowing that there's always someone who is going to think that they can do my job better than me and that they're coming for me. <laughs> and so that's why I continue to work the way that I work. And if you're doing your job, you don't have to worry about anything else because the people are going to know that, hey, this is my representative or this is my alderman. I see them out here. I see them doing the work. I'm going to always support them. Our colleagues don't elect us. The constituents do. So that's who I care about. I care about the people I'm representing. And that's what I keep at the forefront. Yeah. And you do push back. The la- uh, You were on the show. Remember the time you came on the show, you talked about, and I can't remember his name. I apologize. MAGA state rep who wouldn't wear a mask. Remember that one on the, the floor of the, of the general assembly? Yeah. For- Representative Reich. Uh, for- yeah. What was his name? Reich. Reich. Mm-hmm. That's his name. Wow. Um, and uh, remember that. Uh, so, Go back and listen to that old conversation, ladies and gentlemen. You can find it by just Googling it. So <laughs> Akisha Collins is not a pushover just because no. uh, she doesn't hold it. And we actually started gorgeous. working together after all of that was over with. Because we do have a shared interest, and that's young people and youth and care. Right? Wouldn't have known that had we not had that. 
look, it was unfortunate that it happened, but I definitely stood my ground. I'll do it again if I have to, but I'm not in the business of anyone disrespecting anyone, no matter what your race is, no matter who you choose to love, whatever. But I think in that moment, because I stood my ground early on and let him know who I was and what I wasn't going to take, we ended up becoming amicable, right? And we were able to coexist, but we found out that we share one, (laughs) we share an issue and that is fixing the child welfare system. And so I didn't know his personal story until after we were able to talk about it. And then he was able to dig deeper into like why I go so hard for reforming DCFS. And so that's why I say like, really a lot of this stuff is like, if you get to know people, if you actually have a conversation <laughs> and and have an open mind, you know, and it sounds kind of like, you know, wonky, I guess. But for me, I believe that once you get to know people and have an open conversation and learn their lived experience, then maybe we can have a better place. But unfortunately, there are people out there who just will not will not have a conversation with someone who doesn't look like them. And that's where you get all this hate. That, that folks are spewing over the internet and, you know, elected officials who think that it's okay to, you know, keep the hate going. But, you know, for me, I always try to see, you know, from another view. And and that's how I tend, that's how I work with moderate Democrats. That's how I'm able to get them on my bill or get them to vote for something. So. All right. Um, this is a perfect transition to uh, Mayor Johnson because uh, he's very similar uh, in, in regards to what you just said, and I've known him for a long time. Uh, I haven't talked to him since he's been mayor, but that will change. Ladies and gentlemen, he's coming to our first Tuesday show, a little promotion at the promontory nightclub in Hyde park. So you North siders, you're gonna have to go to the South side. It's okay. You can handle it. Uh, and <laughs> West siders too. You have to come to the <laughs> South side. Oh, Chicago's breaking out. Oh no, I can't leave my neighborhood. Ah, uh, sorry about that transition there. Lakeisha. Um, but he is, I mean, he is very much a conciliatory type of human being, Brandon Johnson. I've known him for a long time. And, uh, you know, he's the kind of guy that, that tries to get along with everyone to a certain degree. And there are fighters. He worked for a union uh, that, you know, the, the teachers union is not afraid to punch. Uh, and you know what I mean? They'll, you punch them, they'll punch you back. And that makes it very controversial in Chicago. This is me speaking, not Lakeisha Collins, because in Chicago, they just want teachers to roll over and be like little puppy dogs or something. I don't know. Just do whatever the boss tells them uh, in exchange for a raise every now and then. That's what the people and powers that be in the city of Chicago want. And starting with Karen and moving on with Stacey, they weren't like that. But Brandon's kind of a conciliatory guy. And, um, I, I, it's, I'm finding it interesting as I watch him make his way these first three months and dealing with all the different factions of Chicago who hate the teachers union. You follow me, Lakeisha? They can't stand them. But Brandon Johnson's kind of killing them with kindness. So they say nice things about him or they feel compelled to say nice things about him uh, without getting the policies, without getting the programs and initiatives. I think that's a success of his. Uh, in these first three months. This is just me speaking, uh, even though I think he went way too far, as I've said many times on that text, praising Mayor Rahm for his leadership. Uh, 
went a little too far there to be conciliatory, in my humble opinion, Brandon. But other than that, I feel it's a good tactic. Your general thoughts. Go ahead. Mm-hmm. Um, for me, look, I, I've known the mayor for a, a long time. I fought on the streets with him um, for workers, for our communities. Um, I think that the mayor, you know, and I, I really can't think for him. I'm just going to say what I see. Um, being in a space like this, I would say it was hard for me to transition. I think that Mayor Johnson is, you know, he's really figuring it out. Right. But at the same time, he has a vision, um, for the city, um, that some people are just not going to, you know, that they're not accepting it. Right. Some people are still stuck in the old way of doing things in Chicago, and that whole kill it with kindness, um, I don't know if that's what he's doing, but <laughs> that's what I do. Um, but I but but that's his that's his personality, right? He loves people. Um, and I know that for a fact. Um, but I think he's doing I think he's doing good. I do. I think it's gonna take time for people to really adjust to a new way of how you know city government should operate where is, you know, constituents being able to voice their concerns, give their input. I mean, we always talk about how we want to have say and we want to be at the table. He's given avenues for people to do that. I was just at, you know, an event the other day with him. What was it yesterday? I'm not sure. Where people are giving their input, talking about the issues and the needs and things of that, that nature. He's taking it back in, right? And so I think that folks have this expectation or this want of, you know, the old machine politics. And that's just not Mayor Johnson. That's not what he's trying to do. He's trying to give people a different way of how to interact with government. Um, and so I know what he can bring, to, what he's bringing to the table. And I will hope that people would, you know, be more open to this new way. Um, and yeah, get more involved, in my opinion. I didn't see the interview with Rom, but, you know, I know that the mayor is definitely, you know, working to make more allies, um, make more connections with people, work in a collaborative effort. A lot of stuff that he's trying to do, he's going to need partners in the state. Um, and he has some partners in the state right now, but he needs to gain more. Um, the city is home rule. I don't think a lot of constituents know what that means, um, but you have a budget coming up, so we'll see how that goes. But he's he's definitely working on a more collaborative effort. I think with our last administration, and I've been very vocal with that administration as well, with a, with a number of things. Um, and it wasn't that I didn't like the mayor, right? I've had several conversations with the mayor prior, the prior administration. And, and my concerns were the handling and the conversations and the dismissing people, right? Especially in a time where, you know, me as a parent was afraid to send my kids to school because of COVID. I have a son with asthma, right? And just being dismiss- dismissive of that or the handling of, you know, Anjanette Young or, you know, just this hatred for the teachers, right? And so it was like, you can't get a word in. You can't have a conversation without, you know, belittling this one group of folks, Um, but I think with Mayor Johnson, he has opened the door for folks to have those conversations and he's speaking more, um, than what I've seen. So I'm hopeful. I'm hopeful. 
I think that he'll do well. I think that he's already, you know, setting a pathway to do that. But people just have to be more open to to this new way of doing things. Yeah. It, it was uh, just so people who may have missed the show where I talked about it obsessively. Uh, uh, it, it, it wasn't a public meeting that he had with Mayor Rahm. Uh, Mayor Rahm was in town and he asked to meet uh, with Brandon Johnson. <laughs> yeah, we all know what you're up to, Mayor Rahm. You're getting ready to run for something. Uh, you're, you're bored of being you uh, ambassador to Japan. Oh, pff, what makes <laughs> me think that? Every time I open up a newspaper, Mayor Rahm talks about uh, his favorite TV shows. I'm like, oh, he called another reporter. Uh, I, I, I work from the assumption that Mayor Rahm has inside uh, uh, information on uh, Richard Durbin his run for re-election and that he's maneuvering either that or he's so bored being ambassador to Japan. He feels compelled uh, just to make sure people haven't forgotten him. But so anyway, he was in town. He uh, asked for a meeting and uh, mayor Johnson granted him the meeting. They sat and talked. It was the, I didn't care. They did that. I've said this a million times with Keisha. Obviously if a previous mayor wants to meet with you, you want to meet with that mayor, knock yourself out. Um, don't be like me and my mom and hold grudges. But, um, <laughs> uh, although Mayor Rahm's been known to hold a grudge or two in his life, but um, it was the, the tweet he put out, his comms team put out, the, I want to thank Mayor Rahm for his his continued leadership. And I was like, come on, you, that's, that's going too far, okay? Thanking the man. Uh, he, <laughs> your movement gener- emerged from all the dumb things Mayor Rahm did. So stop thanking him, okay? It's you could say, oh, we had a nice meeting, and maybe he wasn't as bad as I thought he would be. But that's one way of putting it. I will but hope that this it was is a little of, too nice. Him with kindness, uh, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> killing him with kindness. Uh, but I, killing I, me look, softly. Let me tell you something. I would never speak for anyone else. Um, no, for me, my approach is to. You know, whether I agree or disagree with someone, you know, my approach is to always to try to figure out a way to work together. Um, I think people are just so used to us being so divided that that's what they expect. Um, I didn't see the tweet or whatever. I don't know the concept behind the tweet, but I will say that, you know, I'm sure his intentions were, you know, good intentions. Um, But I just can't speak for the mayor on that, you know. Okay. I, I, I nor would I expect it. you to. There, there was a song called Killing Me Softly. Killing me back. Way back when. And when you said killing him with the I'm like, killing me softly. Man, you Love got to. Song. I'm telling you, it's less stress. I'm so serious. Like, it's less stress. Um, but you always keep your eyes open and you <laughs> feed him with a long handle, you know? It's like you you know well, the other thing you, did. you know who's out to get you, but you you sometimes gotta keep some people close. I've heard that. And he, he, he did fire Awadi, Dr. Awadi, health commissioner. I mean, but he said that in his interview while he was campaigning. Say that again? He said that while he was campaigning, when they asked him the question, Paul Vallis was saying, well, you know, I'm going (laughs) to, he talked around it. And Mayor Johnson said, most definitely. Like he did not lie about it. (laughs) Um, he, He kept it real, you know? Yeah, no, he did that. And so uh, he took a lot of heat for it, but he uh, he did that. Is there something that you uh, really are looking forward to in his upcoming budget uh, that you would say to him, 
it's absolutely important uh, that you follow through on this uh, in the in the budget just to not only make good on your pledges but to help my community if there's is there anything in particular that you can think of that you would like to see him follow through on I mean one of the pressing issues right now is homelessness so that bring home Chicago ordinance we'll try to see how that's going to get funded um but what I'm hearing from a lot of folks is you know getting people off the street you know I mean we have people who are literally sleeping at bus stops right now. And they've been doing it for years. And so I know that a lot of the homeless shelters are overcrowded. Um, we need more affordable housing. But anything that he does in the budget is going to cost money. So where is it going to come from? And that's where I think his his partners and allies play a role in that. Um, I think people are concerned about their property taxes. They're definitely concerned about taxes going up. I think that's a whole nother show to talk about that process. Um, but for me, it's really about, you know, how do we take some of these burdens off our, our folks in the city? You know, there's a number of things that people are concerned about. And for me, if I'm thinking about it through my district, you know, it's very diverse. It's a big wage gap there, an economic gap. But I think people want the same thing. They're concerned um, when it comes to public safety. They're concerned when it comes to, um, you know, the migrant crisis that we have. They're concerned also with just the, the lack of affordable housing. So I think I would sum that up and say, you know, whatever we do, we just got to make sure that, you know, it's leveled out the budget. Because it's not just one issue I can point to. I'm just looking to see no, if. This will be something different from the old ways of doing things um, and making sure that there's resources um, that are available to the constituents. And so I know he talked a lot about our young people. He talked a lot about, you know, the Bring Home Chicago ordinance, the treatment, not trauma, um, you know, the homeless issues, all of that stuff. But I, I just want to make sure that we have a budget that people can, you know, be like, yes, this this is not putting too much on, you know, families who are already struggling. I'll, I'll, I'll bring all the issues together. We had an opportunity to pass the fair tax. Uh, what was it? Two years ago. I've lost track of time, Lakeisha, and uh, it defeat was defeated. Uh, every time I say this, uh, then uh, my guests point out Ben, but it passed in the city of Chicago. Uh, I think the vote in the city of Chicago for it was like 70% or something like that. So, um, yeah, uh, funding government, finding a fair and equitable way to pay for uh, our governmental services, Lakeisha Collins, will always be a challenge. Uh, and the property tax, whew, it's just not doing it. Uh, before I let you go, any thoughts uh, on what you would like to see uh, the Senate to take up the, uh, down in Springfield? We've been talking about city stuff. We haven't talked about any state stuff. Are there any uh, uh pressing issues uh, that you're looking forward to that could be particularly important, challenging uh, that oh, you're going to be facing a lot going uh, on. in the next session? I think that we have done, um, I'm, I'm eager to see, you know, how this works in the Senate. Um, but I think that just as a whole for Springfield, um, we've done a lot of things that, you know, you would say that should have been done by the federal government. Uh, when it comes to a lot of the measures that we carried. Um, 
but it, but budget wise, I mean, we were able to balance a budget that was compassionate, a budget that you know spoke to the needs of our constituents. Um, but I think the pressing issues there, it would definitely be the crisis that you know I just talked about, right? Um, but then also again you know, we did a lot of good work. And so I'm looking forward to seeing what happens in Vito. We have some things coming up there. I know that um, one of the issues that people are talking about the most that I'm getting a lot of calls about is this um, scholarship, um, invest in all kids. I think that's what, I think that's what it is. That, that's a pressing issue right now, I think for me, because it's a lot of parents who are calling about that. Um, and I just don't know where we're going with that one, to be honest. Um, I would say the migrant crisis is another one, making sure that we have enough funding. And then also um, things that I definitely care about and want to bring to the table. I care about all these issues, but some things that I want to, you know, definitely see happen moving forward is making sure that our seniors who have legacy homes, who live in their communities, been there six generations plus, that they're able to keep the repairs up to date. Because when we talk about generational wealth and passing down these homes, um, we want to make sure that there's not a burden on the other families that they're passing them on to. A lot of young folks, they tend to sell and they don't understand that you want to slow down gentrification and you want to keep the family home in the community and keep it moving forward. You have to make sure that you keep up with the repairs and that you can, you know, pay the taxes on it. And so I have a lot of seniors who live in homes where they don't have porches. Like they're literally going through the back door. They don't have windows. They have ceilings that you could just see through the roof. They have mold like they live on fixed incomes. They cannot afford to, to do the repairs. And sometimes they're being scammed out of their money and there's not enough help. And so there's a bill that I've been trying to pass in the house, but it needed some work done on it because we needed to figure out where could we get some more funding for that? And then who would be the person to distribute it out, make it more accessible for seniors. We know that there are some barriers there with technology, but that's something that I really want to see go through. Um, and it's not just families on the West side, but I mean, throughout the state, because there's families in rural areas too, where our elders, um, who want to stay at home, who've lived in their homes for decades, they want to keep their home. They don't want to go to no senior living building. They want to pass it down to their loved ones and they, and they can't because it's not livable. And so no one should have to live like that, especially when they spend all their hard work, earned money, um, to buy the homes in the first place. And so gentrification is a big, big thing that I'm hearing a lot about and that I see. And so more pathways to home ownership too. Uh, that was a that was a good riff because I'll close with this. When I moved to Chicago, uh, the area uh, around Cabrini Green, the residential area around Cabrini, the homeowner area around Cabrini Green, Lakeisha, was of mostly black people. I'm not making this up. This is true. And gentrification occurred in the 80s and the 90s. And it just, you could just walk down Sedgwick and you would see, oh, wow, there's a lot of white people here. I mean, 
nothing against white people. I love white people. Don't get me wrong. I'm, I'm just saying that the neighborhood was changing and longtime homeowners felt pressure to sell their home. And I would have conversations with people where I would go, don't sell your home. This thing is going to be worth so much money. You could pass it on to your kid. And as you said, you call it legacy. And, but the, sometimes the, the money was too good to, to pass up or that people were, they couldn't make pay. They couldn't pay their taxes as generally, you know, the taxes rose so much and the neighborhood just completely But also there's changed. that discrimination part that plays in there too over here. Um, Cause like I said, I stay in the 27th ward and, you know, I hear from both sides. I hear from residents who, you know, were told that they can come back. And so they live in mixed income properties and they talk about how they feel like they're prisoners in their own community, communities that they were born and raised in. And, you know, you have all this new development around here and the community, it looks nice, but at the end of the day, if you don't feel welcome, you don't feel like you belong, it kind of forces you to move out. And if it's too expensive, yeah, can't stay. And so when we talk about affordable housing, we need to start talking about it in a way where, you know, people really understand what affordable means, because I don't think a lot of people understand that if you're paying 30 percent or more of your income, it's not affordable. And then even with, you know, building a new development and giving like, what is it, 10 or 12 percent of, you know, certain units to, you know, affordable housing, um, it's still not enough because you have families who are a family of four, a family of six. But if you're building units that only fit a family of two or a family of three, those families can't move in there. So, I mean, it's a lot of stuff that's happening with that. And I see Pilsen, you know, Pilsen is changing a lot. Um, and so it, it's, it's a real thing. Um, and, and that's my way of trying to slow it down. So that's why I supported a thousand homes on the West side. Um, and giving them the funding to help them get that initiative going. And then also supporting, um, you know, for at-risk youth, housing for them. Um, because if you want to make sure that our young people are off the street and that they have wraparound services um, and that they're not going back to what led them into jail in the first place, you have to have programs and housing and services that kind of keeps that keeps them you know, on the right path. And so investing in initiatives like that, that's what I've done as the state representative. And that's what I'm going to continue to do as the state senator, but also making sure there are small businesses that are owned by families, um, you know, who are struggling to keep their head above water too, that they're able to thrive as well. But they find it really hard right now um, to keep their doors open. And some of them were struggling before the pandemic. And so um, we've made a lot of strides in Springfield. There's a lot more work to be done, but I am very intentional about fixing a lot of the key issues that I hear from constituents on the door. So if any of my constituents are listening, um, please reach out to my office. I love hearing from my constituents because that is what drives the policy that I carry. That is what drives the way I craft my budget you know, items. Um, and I'm always looking to meet new constituents to hear from them. And I don't care if they live in a million dollar household because I've knocked those doors and talked to them too. I don't care where they live in the district. I always like to hear from you. So, um, and I and I love the way that our political climate is changing. It is not the same as it used to be. And yes, you know, um, 
the machine that we once knew is not the same anymore. And so you have a lot more, you know, young people that are coming into this space, but more progressives are coming into this space um, because we're tired of the same old, same old. You know, people, they, they want to see something different with their government and we have to give it to them. And so I've been a part of this fight for a very long time, very long time. And sometimes it gets frustrating trying to explain to someone, you know, the importance of, you know, um, being accessible to your constituents, but also delivering what you campaigned on um, and not wavering from that. But every conversation matters. So um, this is why I support our mayor. I think he's doing a phenomenal job. I think he's going to do even better. Um, I think right now he's just figuring things out. I supported our secretary of state. I support our governor. Like I support those who I've actually sat and had conversations with. I know what their intentions are. Um, I don't have to agree with every single person, but at the end of the day, um, we're seeing a lot of things change with the state. There are some tweaks that need to be made. I'm the first to say that I will always be honest about that, but we're getting there. We're getting there. So, um, that's it for me. All right. Very good. That's State Senator Lakeisha Collins. She outworked them all. She outmaneuvered them all. She worked the phones. She called them early. She called them late. And now she's the state senator and she'll be running for election uh, in November on that one. So congratulations, Lakeisha. You proved me wrong. Uh, and what can I say? You proved me wrong. I'm not always right. And I am uh, I was definitely wrong. I said, oh, no, no way. She I be love you, being. <laughs> <laughs> and you proved me wrong. Uh, all right, Lakeisha, thank you very much uh, for being on the show. It's always a blast talking to you. And we'll get you on in the fall when we have some state news to talk about as well. All right. Yes, Bring sir. You back. Thank you. All right. That's State Senator Lakeisha Collins. I'm Ben Jarofsky. Take care, everybody. Thank you.